Welcome to Grace this morning. It's good uh, to be together as we uh, as we come to worship. A couple of things I want to highlight. Uh, I would encourage you all to uh, to read through the bulletin. There's lots of good information there. Uh, stuff that's happening at CMU. Uh, there's the little bits of grace. Everything else that's going on. Um, but uh, right now, I want to invite uh, Raylan to come up and uh, share some really exciting news. Hello, good morning. Um, so for those of you that have read the bulletin, you've read that I, my, my family and I received very exciting news this week. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, so the person who has um, been a match with me, she has passed all of her workup tests, which is a big deal. So just for context, I met her online, actually over Facebook, exactly a year ago. Um, and so, so through the last year, she's gone through numerous tests and blood work and scans. And so I just found out this Tuesday that it's going to be a go, which is very exciting. Um, I want to say a huge thank you to everyone here for supporting me the past three years. Um, and also to my, my family and friends. Without all of you, the last years would have been a lot harder, that's for sure. Um, and I'm also so grateful for those who showed interest and went through testing there are a few people here today, actually, so you know who you are. I just want to say a big thank you to you as well. Um, I found my kidney match on Facebook, and thanks to Elham um, and the, the Grandma program, we discovered that we are actually like six cousins a few times removed, which is really special as well. So Mennonite genes or something about that, I think. Um, and so there was only a 6.5% chance of me actually finding a match, let alone a close match. So I feel very, very incredibly lucky. Um, my kidney donor lives in Kenora with her husband, and uh, she currently is actually in Mexico helping children recover from surgery, so that's the kind of person she is. She's been a nurse for many years, and she also has a grandbaby coming in April, so we're looking at about May, um, as that's the month that would work the best for her. Um, so May also works well for me. It'll give me a chance to finish my practicum and then also rec recuperate and recover from my last, last year of education this next year. Um, again, I want to say a huge thank you to everyone here who has given me words of encouragement and prayers and support. Um, yeah, it has made such a difference, and I appreciate you all so much, so thank you. At the back, on your way in with the bulletin, there were some orange little flyers. If you haven't seen them, you need to grab them because we have church camp coming up uh, March 1 to 3 and uh, the deadline for, for signing up and, and putting your spot is coming up soon. So, so please uh, to make that action as soon as you can. Uh, today we welcome Josiah Neufeld as our speaker a little later on. He is uh, part of the Mennonite Church Manitoba Climate Action Working Group and also the author of The Temple at the End of the Universe and look forward to him uh, coming and speaking a little later on. We also grieve together with uh, the Rhonda and Tony Wolf family as they mourn the loss of Martha Hebert Reimer, mother to Rhonda. Funeral will be on Wednesday at the Birchwood uh, Funeral Chapel. We acknowledge that we are gathering on the traditional territory of indigenous and Métis peoples. With the, this acknowledgement also comes our search to live into right relations with our neighbors and all of creation. 
We ask for God's help to do this as we journey together. I invite us to stand together as we sing. Begins, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And now here we are, standing inside your gates. God welcomes us together. 
as a generous mother greets her children coming to a family gathering. The house has been readied, the food prepared, and now it's time to enjoy each other's presence. We gather as spiritual siblings, sharing stories in the name of our holy parent. Join us in singing 494 in your hymnals.
seated. We're going to spend a few minutes praying the welcome prayer. This prayer helps us find peace through surrender in the midst of our messy and ordinary moments. It's a simple prayer, a first move prayer, where we name God as the source of our transformation and healing. Let's begin by closing our eyes and just taking a few breaths. Begin by becoming aware of how your body feels as your mind fills with all the thoughts of the past, present, and future. Pay attention to your emotions. Notice any tension, anxiety, or pain. And as you do, we pray. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me in this moment because I know it is for my healing. I welcome all thoughts, feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for security. I let go of my desire for affection. I let go of my desire for control. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, or myself. I open to the love and presence of God and the healing action and grace within. Welcome. Amen. At this time, I invite the children to come forward to the steps here. Yeah, and come close, close up. You can even sit here, some of the young, the shorter ones, right? So, because you wanna see the pictures, right? So I wish I knew all your names, 
but I don't yet. So I hope I will get to know your names within the time that I'm here. I know that Kyle and Mel knew all your names, right? And they knew your parents. And I've only been here for about a month. You've seen my face maybe out in the hallway and maybe in here. Well, my name is Kathy, and I work here at the church now. I'm working here for about a year, and I'm here not only on Sundays, but I'm here also during the week when you're at school or at daycare or at home with your parents. You're at daycare, hey? That's great. I have some grandkids who are at daycare too, and they love it. Do you love it? It's great to play with other kids, right? I know. So what I want to do, first of all, is I want to invite you all to my office after Children's Church so that you see where I work, and then I have a little surprise for you there. So if you remember to come, you will have to find my office, and then I'll give you a surprise, and I need you to tell me your name, okay? Can you do that? Good. But for now, I want you to think about being outdoors. What do you like about being outdoors? Yeah. Um, being able to uh, hang out with friends and also build a snow fort that I can hide in. Okay, hiding in a snow fort with friends. That sounds like a good plan. Okay. What do you like about outdoors? You're thinking. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, you also like to play with friends. That's wonderful. Yeah. I play friends too. I know. Friends are an important part of life, right? And this week or this weekend, it's a little hard to play outside because it's so very wet, right? Unless you have some rain pants or something. But there's... Okay, right. Well, and that works too. But yeah, there's so many exciting things outside, right? So many things we can enjoy about everything that God created. But we also have to be careful that we don't damage or hurt the soil, the plants, and the animals, and our friends, right? And this morning, I want to read you a story about a special friend of mine. It's a very special friend. And guess what her name is? My friend's name is Earth. Have you ever heard of a friend named Earth? Well, you're in for a good story here. Let's see. This is my friend Earth. Look at all the colors in here, right? And here, look, my friend Earth is still sleeping. <gasps> but here she is waking up from a nap. Can you all see? There. She hears the busy spring sounds, the farmer's hoe tap tapping in the garden, the cause of crows. Can you see the crows? Mm -hmm. They are pretty noisy sometimes, right? She sees the little, the silent seed, the spider spinning silver, and the robin and the wrens. And the large, the long-winged albatross crossing the sea. 
the mole tunneling in the underdark, see down here? She guides the chimpanzee to her night's day rest. <gasps> and the zebra baby to find his mother among the hundreds of black and white striped mothers. That's a lot of black and white striped mothers, eh? She tends the prairie where sun-dappled wild horses run through grasses that swish against their legs. See the little horses there? They are far distant. The tundra where the reindeer graze from moss and the glistening ice where the young polar bear pads on mittened feet. She guards all the creatures in the oceans, the black manta rays like shadows, the shining parrotfish, the tiny krill who swim with millions of other krill to look big, and the whales who are big. My friend Earth pours the summer rain to fill streams, flowing down mountains, through the fields, to the rivers and the sea. Sometimes she pours too much rain, flooding towns and meadows and roads until she tries the land. Sometimes she blows fierce autumn winds, sweeping the limbs of trees and shingles from the roofs of houses until she stills the winds, so red and orange and yellow leaves float to the ground. When cold comes again, my friend Earth sprinkles the snow, whisper silent, covering the dens where the baby black bears are born in soft darkness, drifting over the icy pond where the turtle sleeps in mud, settling into the empty nests of birds. Under the white, the silent seed is cradled in the dark soil, watching, waiting to fly up again into the bright sun of spring. So that's my friend Earth. That's an interesting friend, right? And I love my friend Earth, and I hope you do as well. And I think I want to ask you to treat our friend Earth with much love and respect and make sure she stays healthy and thrives, right? Like we would treat all our friends, right? And so we want to treat our friend Earth well as, just as God intended her. So let's pray together before you head off to Children's Church. Right, and yeah. Dear God, you made the world we live in, but sometimes we don't take good care of it. Give us the guidance and help we need to take care of the world you trusted us with. Help us to work together and make the right choices. Help us understand how important our friend Earth is and what we can do to help. Amen. So you may go now, and I hope to see you after children's story uh, time, church.
Our reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Now Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except uh, except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. And he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, Shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned these people to their fate. So the disciples went out telling everyone that they must repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Now Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. Others said, he is the prophet Elijah. Still others said, he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded has come back from the dead. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, it's against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless, for Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. Herodias's chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask, up to half my kingdom. She went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. Then the king deeply regretted what he had said, but because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison brought his head on a tray, and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. 
When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and buried it in a tomb. Today we welcome Josiah Newfield to come. I invite you to come and uh, share with us. Good morning. I'm happy to be here among you today. In the story in today's lectionary that we just heard, Jesus preaches in the syn- at the synagogue in his hometown, and the people say to themselves, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? They take offense. He's no prophet, they say. He's just a local guy. As I was writing this message for today, it occurred to me that although I've never lived in Steinbach, uh, in many ways, this is my hometown. Uh, So you could be excused for saying to yourselves right now, who is this guy? What wisdom does he have? Isn't his father, Paul Thiessen, the missionary who went to Burkina Faso, And wasn't his grandfather, Isaac J. Thiessen, the shoemaker whose tools can be seen in the Mennonite Heritage Village Museum? Well, don't worry. I'm not about to uh, lay claim to be a prophet or anything like that. But if you do want to know a little bit more about me, uh, I wrote a book called The Temple at the End of the Universe. It's a journalistic memoir about climate change and religion and my own personal spiritual journey. I know some folks here have read it already, had conversations with them. So there's a little bit about who I am. I'm also here with my partner Mona and my two children, Elias and Elna. And I'm going to use a couple of stories from this uh, book today. But I just want to say a few more things about who I am and where I'm from, in addition to being uh, Mennonite with Steinbeck origins. I attend Hope Mennonite Church in Winnipeg, and I'm also a member of Mennonite Church Manitoba's Climate Action Working Group. So this is a group of about 10 people from various churches throughout the province, and some urban, some rural, and we were invited by MCM leadership to form a working group that would help congregations uh, find ways to take creative action in response to the climate crisis. So I'll say a little bit more about this group and some of the work that we're doing during the uh, adult Sunday school after the service. So I welcome folks to stay behind for that if they want to hear more. So today's lectionary readings uh, tell us two stories about what the world does to its prophets. One prophet, Jesus, is dismissed because everyone knows his origin story. He's too local. The other, John the Baptist, is beheaded because he dares to speak hard truths that challenge the ruling economic and political powers. What exactly is a prophet, we might ask? And I think there's this popular idea of a prophet as a future teller, someone who looks into the future and sees what's coming. According to the theologian Walter Brueggemann, the Hebrew prophets weren't exactly predictors of the future. The Hebrew prophets, he writes, had two tasks. The first task was to lament, to grieve, to critique the dominant order, to wake up a culture that was numbed 
subdued and satiated by consumerism. The second task was to imagine an alternative reality. In his book, The Prophetic Imagination, Walter Brueggemann writes, it is the vocation of the prophet to keep alive the ministry of imagination, to keep on conjuring and proposing futures alternative to the single one the king wants to urge as the only thinkable one. The prophet helps us imagine another reality that is different than the one our dominant powers want us to believe is the only one reality. We're in a time where prophets are certainly needed. I know that many of, of you, like me, are concerned about climate change. I hardly need to point out that everything is melting right now. Uh, we're about 20 degrees above the historical average for this time of year. And we just experienced our worst wildfire season on record this past summer. The amount of forest that burned was three times the previous record in Canada. And with the current drought conditions that we're looking at on the prairies and in the west, we are, experts are predicting another summer of fire. And we know what's causing climate change. The burning of fossil fuels, our consumptive lifestyles, our failure to care for the life systems of the earth, our failure to allow the life systems of the earth to care for us, an economic order that values eternal growth above the flourishing of life and justice for all people. So who are the prophets of our time who help us lament and grieve our current unsustainable order? And who are the prophets who help us imagine a new reality? Walter Brueggemann warns that we are not going to find those prophets sitting in the seats of power. I don't think we can expect the words of lament and radical hope that we need to come from Justin Trudeau or Pierre Polyev. No, those prophetic voices, Walter Brueggemann says, he describes a strange newness that is occurring. He says we should look for it not among the powerful protectors of the social order, but among the marginal victims of society. We will find the prophets among small town carpenters. We will find the prophets among people who wear animal skins and eat wild honey. We'll find the prophets in the back seats of cop cars. Here's a prophet. I can show the first image. This woman's name is Frida Hewson. Frida Hewson is a member of the Unistotan House of the Gilseyu clan of the Wet'suwet'en people. The Wet'suwet'en have been living in relationship with the land and waters of their ancestors for thousands of years. They've never signed a treaty or been defeated in a war, or in any way given up their jurisdiction over an area of 58,000 square kilometers of land in what is known today as British Columbia. About 10 years ago, the Unistotan clan made a community decision to oppose the construction of all oil and gas pipelines across their territory. They knew that the burning of fossil fuels was causing climate change, and they didn't want pipelines that would cut through their forests or displace their moose that they hunted or the soap berries and medicines they picked or contaminate the waters where their salmon spawned. In the 1980s already, the Wet'suwet'en and their neighboring nation had been defending their territory. They had blocked logging uh, companies from cutting down their forests, and this led to a precedent-setting court case 
known as Delgamuk, in which the Supreme Court of Canada acknowledged that the Wet'suwet'en had never given up the title to their land. But that decision hadn't stopped the, hasn't stopped the Canadian government and fossil fuel companies from claiming the right to build pipelines across Wet'suwet'en territory. And these pipeline companies have signed agreements with some of the banned councils along the pipeline route. But they have not obtained consent from the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs, the ones who are responsible for the land beyond the boundaries of the reserves, the land the pipeline would cross. So a few years ago, Frida Hewson got the coordinates of a series of pipelines that were slated to be built across her territory, and she built a log cabin right in their path. Over the years, the log cabin grew into a camp. More buildings were built, volunteers from other clans and environmental groups came to help out with the work of building this resistance camp, and the Unistotin clan kept a watchful eye on their territory. They evicted pipeline surveyors and mining companies who came onto their land without permission, trying to scout out pipeline routes or mining sites. They set up a checkpoint on a bridge to control who came into their territory. And at the camp, they built a healing center, a place for the Wet'suwet'en to find healing and receive counseling, to hunt moose, to trap, to gather medicines and reconnect with their culture and the land. But in 2018, a pipeline company called Coastal GasLink, seeking to build a natural gas pipeline across Wet'suwet'en territory, applied for a court injunction to gain access to this uh, area by force. And the Unistotin and the neighboring clan, the Gidimden, uh, they set up more camps and checkpoints along the gravel road that accessed their territory. And this conflict came to a head in the winter of 2019 and 2020, just months before the pandemic arrived in Canada. On February 6, 2020, before dawn, RCMP officers, armed with assault rifles and drones and dogs, raided one of the camps along the road, smashing the windows of vehicles, dragging people out of their sleeping bags, some without even the dignity of their clothes. A few days later, the police helicopter, a police helicopter dropped snipers into the forest near the Unistotin Healing Center. Frida Hewson, together with her, her uh, sister Brenda, who you see in the picture there, and her niece Carla were ready when the police arrived. They were doing ceremony before a sacred fire in the middle of the snowy road as the RCMP officers arrived with their guns and their dogs and their chainsaws to take down the barricade. You can uh, show the next image. Frida never stopped singing. She sang until her voice was hoarse as the RCMP marched her and other Unistotin matriarchs to waiting police vehicles that would take them to jail. This is how we treat our prophets. Things haven't changed much since the time of John the Baptist. In the summer of 2021, I traveled together with four members of a group uh, sponsored by community peacemaker teams and Mennonite Church Canada. We went to Wet'suwet'en territory and we spent a month at the Unistotin Healing Center. We chopped wood, we carried water, we fixed screens, we built drying racks for moose and salmon meat, and we heard stories from the Wet'suwet'en elders. And we met Frida Hewson 
and heard the story of her arrest and the ongoing struggles to stop the pipeline. Despite their resistance, this particular pipeline has now mostly been built through Wet'suwet'en territory without the consent of Frida Hewson or the hereditary chiefs. But I should mention that many other pipelines have not been built uh, due to their resistance. The Healing Center uh, continues to be a place for Wet'suwet'en youth to come and learn about their traditions and spend time on the land to overcome addictions and connect spiritually with the creator of the land. Frida Hewson is teaching us how to lament, how to critique the dominant narrative. And she's helping us imagine another alternative reality, a reality that is different from the single reality of colonialism, a reality that is different from the single reality of unrestrained capitalism, a reality that is different from the single reality of the exploitation of the land. When the prophet envisions a new reality, says Walter Brueggemann, she doesn't ask, is the new reality practical or economical? The prophet asks, is it imaginable? So where do you and I fit in on this new imaginable reality? I know a lot of good-hearted Mennonites. I'm one of them who ride their bicycles and buy local organic vegetables, and some even buy electric cars or retrofit their homes. Uh, put up solar panels. We do these things to avoid the sins of overconsumption and fossil fuel pollution. I think these are important things to do. There are things that help us imagine a new reality that doesn't involve burning more fossil fuels, a new reality that connects us with the living ecosystems around us. But these actions alone are inadequate. Sarah Augustine, uh, a Pueblo Mennonite theologian, uh, and the author of this book, which you can buy at Common Word at CMU Bookstore. It's called So We and Our Children May Live. Sarah Augustine says, there is no way to live in right relationship with people that are oppressed unless there is structural change. Imagine trying to live in right relationship with your neighbor of a different race in the context of apartheid South Africa. There's also no way to live in right relationship with the natural world unless there is structural change. I can decide to reduce my carbon footprint by selling my gas car, for instance, and buying an electric one. But what about my neighbor who can't afford to make that switch? Structural change might look like a good public transit system, so none of us have to drive a car. I'm not saying that our choices to ride bicycles or plant trees or put up solar panels don't matter. I think our individual choices are important, not because they absolve us of responsibility, but because they're a step toward broadening our understanding of sin, the concept of sin, from the individual to the structural, and the concept of restoration from the individual to the structural. So what, does, what, could, looking, what could working for structural change look like? I'm a practical person, and so I like to... Uh, think about this in practical, concrete ways. And, uh, and I want to mention that how important churches are in this work. Uh, we may not think of churches as important uh, parts of the work of transformation and change in our, in our political or economic systems, but when community organizers think about creating social change, they don't uh, think about moving individuals um, 
so much as they think about shifting existing social blocks, uh, nonprofits or organizations or community groups. Um, and churches are already existing social blocks where you know, people who are, who are uh, bound together by all sorts of bonds of community and we have all kinds of potential to make change in the world. So what could working for structural change look like? It could look like asking for a meeting with your city councilor to urge your city to adopt a net zero climate plan. I helped start a group of, uh, such a group in Winnipeg. Uh, there's a coalition of people of faith, Mennonites, Anglicans, United, Jewish, Buddhist. And we've been, um, we come from all these different faith communities and we've been meeting with Winnipeg city councillors, urging them to take action on, on reducing emissions. Winnipeg has a net zero plan that shows how the city could get to net zero emissions, but the city hasn't been doing very much about it. You'd be surprised at how much city councillors pay attention when a sincere delegation of people of faith come to them and ask for a meeting. So far, we haven't been uh, turned down for meetings by any of the city councillors that we've approached. So that's one example. Another example of how a community of faith could uh, work for structural change would be organizing a fundraiser for a group like Camp Morningstar, which is a group of Anishinaabe land defenders from Hollow Water First Nation who are trying to stop a silica sand mine, uh, a company from cutting down the forests on the shores of Lake Winnipeg where they gather medicines. Or it could look like writing letters to our new provincial min uh, minister for the environment, Tracy Schmidt, and asking for the provincial government to establish public geothermal utility so that ordinary people like us can afford to replace our gas furnaces with geothermal heat. It could look like our, urging our pro provincial government to establish more stringent building codes so we don't keep building poorly insulated houses that are heated with natural gas instead of well-insulated houses that are heated by geothermal systems. Or it could look like urging Mennonite Church Manitoba to sign an international appeal calling for a fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty. That's a mouthful. Um, I'll say more about this during the adult uh, education period after this. Um, but just briefly, this, this treaty is a treaty that would be modeled after the treaties nations signed when they agreed not to build more nuclear weapons. And, uh, and we have a resolution coming for the Climate Action Working Group, which I'm a part of, is bringing forward a resolution to uh, the delegate meetings um, in March, uh, asking Mennonite Church Manitoba to sign a call uh, for this treaty, an international call. So those are some practical ideas to get you thinking. I know there's great work going on in this community already, and I encourage you to continue with that good work that you're doing. And I'll end with a quote from uh, Sarah Augustine, again, the author of this book, who I believe is another prophet of our time with challenging words for us. And she says, is it time for another reformation? I long for a church that will stand up to the systems of death on this earth and say, enough. We stand with the systems of life. We repent of the complicity of the systems, of our complicity with the systems of death, and we repudiate the systems of extraction that are victimizing the vulnerable and destroying the possibilities of life on this earth. 
That is the church I dream of and pray for, the church that is within us and around us, that animates us in response to the great animator. And to tilt my hand just a bit, it is the church many of us are organizing. Thank you. Great food for thought and encourage all those who can to stick around afterwards for we'll have our break for coffee and then um, and then we'll have our formation time here. Let's pray together. Transforming God, we beg for softer, gentler, less fearful, more gracious and generous hearts. Protect us from our need to control. Make us humble, loving, poor in spirit. Lead us into new paths of peace. We pray, too, for the transformation of our world. May the nations, leaders, and peoples of this planet turn and embrace your way of humility, poverty, charity. Empower us to name the lies and oppose the seductive powers of our day. May we listen to our prophets speaking from the margins. Raise, up, raise us up as a generation willing to let go of distractions and willing to take risks for your sake. In poverty, humility, and charity, we pray with uh, St. Francis of Assisi, enlighten our darkness and give us faith and trust, firm hope, perfect love, even for our enemies, wisdom and perception that we may do what is truly your most holy will. Amen. And as a community of people, we, we also gather together and, and we want to foster generosity. And there are many ways to do that. Uh, in your bulletin, there is some instruction if you would like to give online. If not, there is a box in the back to be able to do that. And let's uh, pray for it with thanksgiving. How good and pleasant it is when we share our gifts of money to further the way of love, hope, and justice in this community and on earth. May our offerings now be received in celebration of life here and around the world. Amen. Please stand and join with us in singing song number 412, My Soul Cries Out.
May there be love and understanding in our hearts and in our world. May peace and friendship offer shelter from life's storms. May we be released from our deep fears and our fruitless guilt. May we have the courage to speak truth against violence and suffering. Guiding Spirit, bless our journey with these good companions, that we may be drenched with the longing for peace to make justice blossom on earth. Amen. Let's close with song number 828. of hope to this world. Amen.